I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today, we have a fascinating discussion with Jake Wood, who is the founder and CEO of two entrepreneurial ventures. One, you may know him as the um, idea and the creator of Team Rubicon, which is an amazing disaster response organization that has done hundreds of thousands of hours of work uh, utilizing veterans, both in the U.S. and abroad. And then his latest venture, which is called Groundswell. But I'd also like to say that that Jake, also his background, he's a former scout sniper in the U.S. Marines, um, at which he served, and thank you for your service, Jake, um, from 2005 to 2009. He's an author, and his book, Once a Warrior, um, has just gotten wonderful accolades. So welcome to the show, Jake. Yeah, thank you for having me, Carol. It's it's a pleasure. And I'd like to say that um, I was always in awe of Jake. I met Jake in New York, and we had the most intriguing and delightful conversation. Jake is the real deal. He's someone who leads with empathy and love. And we're going to talk about that in our discussion. So first, Jake, just let our listeners know just a little bit about you, what drives you as an individual and how you've discovered your personal purpose to advance, dare I say, goodness in the world. So it's a, it's a big question. Sometimes it's kind of hard to pin down. I grew up in an amazing family. I had, you know, great parents. And, um, I think, you know, they set inside me early, um, this notion of responsibility, um, responsibility to myself, to my family, to my community. And that was something that I think has been reflected throughout my life and in the, the way that I've lived it. So when I think about, you know, my decision to join the Marine Corps, which I did after college, it was, I think, in part motivated and inspired by this idea that, you know, you have to have a bias for action in the world if you want to you know, do your part to make it a better place. And so when I got out of the Marine Corps, I think I was still searching for, you know, what is it that I'm going to do to make the world around me a better place? And that led me to Team Rubicon and eventually, you know, now Groundswell. Has your purpose, your personal purpose, which is getting engaged, making a difference and such, has it evolved some over um, Team Rubicon and, and now getting into the new idea, uh, Groundswell? You know, I think at my core, I've always just been driven to um, achieve, you know, and, and that's really what entrepreneurship is about. It's about achieving and making a difference and, you know, taking something and uh, creating something from nothing. But it wasn't just achievement for me that was my entrepreneurial drive. It was, okay, how do I achieve something that that creates a better world? And yeah, that certainly has evolved for me. I think, you know, I was, I ran Team Rubicon for 11 and a half years. It's really exhausting to to not just run, but build a disaster response organization over a decade. You know, the moment my my first daughter was born, I did look at the world differently. And I did start thinking about, you know, what's the world that I leave behind for her? Uh, and and for me, that just started to make me think about impact beyond disaster zones. So I started thinking about education and gun violence and, you know, gender-based violence and, and all of these other things that, you know, exist in a world that she's going to grow up in. You know, how could I reinvent my purpose to to help with that? That's wonderful that you re- that you found your purpose and reinvented your purpose before the age of 40. 
So, so that's that's very impressive. Can you talk a little bit about the creation of Team Rubicon, where it is today, and also give us a story. I know that that you uh, there's an amazing story about um, how you served uh, the Navajo Nation during COVID, so maybe you could share that one. So our listeners get a real sense of how you interpret disaster, because it's broad. You know, it wasn't a plan. It wasn't, you know, an idea or concept that we came up with on a whiteboard in, a, in an MBA program. We saw this Haiti un- or this earthquake unfolding in Haiti and we said, hey, we, we have to go. And I think, you know, I, I ended up uh, calling a couple of friends who I'd served with. We organized a team of mostly military veterans and some doctors. And we went down to Haiti, got there four days after the earthquake. And we just started running these medical triage clinics in parts of, of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the capital, that were some of the hardest hit areas. And, you know, a lot of people don't remember that earthquake. It was the one of the worst disasters of the last hundred years. I mean, a hundred thousand people died instantly. Another 150,000 people died in the subsequent weeks. And this was also probably the poorest and most corrupt country in the Western hemisphere. So it was just the perfect storm um, for the most chaotic and volatile situation imaginable. But what we realized while we were down there was, Hey, like all the training that we'd had in the military prepared us for this moment. And so that was, that was really the inspiration for team Rubicon. We came back and if you fast forward 13 years to today, the organization's got 150,000 registered volunteers. We've responded to 1200 different disasters and communities around the world. And not all of them look like the Haiti earthquake, as you alluded to, you know, you mentioned Navajo nation, you know, we've, we've had a longstanding relationship with tribal nations throughout the U S most people don't actually under don't realize that uh, Native Americans uh, are the most overrepresented minority in the U.S. military. Mm, I didn't know that. Strong ties to the U.S. military within the Native American population. And Navajo Nation reached out. Uh, they were outside of New York City, the worst COVID outbreak early in uh, COVID, the COVID-19 disaster. And their healthcare system, which is which is not great in good times became immediately overwhelmed. And so, you know, I'm really proud. Our, our doctors and nurses and medics stepped in. We helped manage that healthcare system and keep it from collapsing for, I mean, the better part of all of 2020. Um, and it going so far as to helping to operate their ambulance system across the reservation. So that's that's tremendous. And I think, the again, the breadth of your service, you know, should be uh, revered. You also have a dual purpose with Team Rubicon because you're providing an outlet, a purpose to veterans to feel that their service had a connection to what their life is going forward. And I know that there were some tragedies of some of your colleagues that helped, I think, embed that into your mind. And so you had like a dual purpose when you birthed Team Rubicon. Can you just mention that a bit? Because I think it's important to know how we support our veterans in a very positive way. Yeah. So when we talk about Team Rubicon, we talk about singular mission, dual impact. And, you know, that mission is disaster response, but the impacts, um, you know, there, there are really two. The first is obviously the communities that we serve that were impacted by that storm. The second is uh, we provide tremendous value to the volunteers who do that work. Um, most of them are military veterans. You mentioned the tragedy. You know, one of the first people that I called when I was trying to get a team together to go down to Haiti was my sniper partner, Clay Hunt. Clay and I were best friends. I was the best man at his wedding. And so he went down to Haiti with us. Um, great guy, you know, bright kid, 
and you know had all the opportunity in the world. He suffered from post-traumatic stress. Uh, he was shot on our tour. He was wounded and shot in an ambush on our tour in Iraq and um, had been diagnosed with PTSD. And about a year after Haiti, you know, he was struggling. He had moved home to Texas to be closer to his family. And in March uh, of 2011, he killed himself. I'm sorry. Which was a terrible, terrible tragedy. He joined a tragically long list of military veterans who have killed themselves uh, coming home from war. Um, he was not the only one in our battalion that committed suicide. We've had dozens of Marines from our battalion commit suicide since coming back. You know, I think everybody that serves in combat comes home and asks themselves the question, like, why did I live? Why did I survive? And that's, that's, that's hard, right? There's this survivor's guilt that's associated with that. And then I think it naturally leads a lot of people to this conclusion that they have to earn the life that they that they have, the second part of this life. And I think that was a big part of you know my reaction to Clay's death is all right. Well, I, I've got a I'm still here, and I've got a life of work. I have to live a life that makes him proud, and that you know, frankly, earns the right to continue breathing every day. Very, very, very powerful. Let's talk about your new venture. Most, you know, social entrepreneurs would go, oh, my God, I've created Team Rubicon. It's got a dual purpose. Our disasters are getting larger. But that you wanted to do something else. And you also talked about a little bit of burnout because what being always on with tremendous disaster relief is hard. What was that moment that you said, you know, I want to do something in addition? Well, I, I think I always knew that I wanted to do it again. Right. Um, you know, again, okay. if you're if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. And at a certain point, 12 years into running a company, like you're not an entrepreneur anymore. So <laughs> got, you've got your systems. I also I'm a big believer that organizations have to evolve. And that includes the people that are leading them. And, um, you know, I felt like change was going to be good. So the plan had always been that I was going to step away at some point from Team Rubicon. It also coincided with, you know, the birth of my second daughter, uh, which she was born uh, in, around Thanksgiving in 2020. And my, my daughter was born, my second daughter, and she had a congenital heart defect, which required major open heart surgery right after she was born. And we knew it was coming. Scary for you. It was terrifying. It was terrifying. It was in the midst of COVID. So we uh, had you know, lim up. limited ability to, you know, to, to support one another, my wife and I. And but we knew it was coming. So we had a plan in place. We had a surgeon lined up. You know, we were lucky that you know, two of the best surgeons in the world for this type of procedure were here in Los Angeles. So again, we just felt extraordinarily lucky. But, you know, again, it, it widened my aperture for how I looked at the world and the, the, the impact that I could have beyond disasters. You know, again, I started thinking about how I could start something that had broader impact. And, you know, the idea for Groundswell came up, this idea to democratize philanthropy. You know, while I was running Team Rubicon, we raised $300 million in philanthropy. So like, I learned a thing or two about how philanthropy works. You know, one of the things I observed was that rich people give away money a lot differently than average people. And, and a lot of that has to do with the giving vehicles that they have access to, specifically things like donor-advised funds. And I just felt like that was... Uh, tragically unfair. And then the second thing I realized was that companies think they're really good at giving away money and, and they're not. <laughs> so I felt as though there was this opportunity for companies to, to do it better. And so, you know, the idea for Groundswell, uh, you know, came to me, you know, the, 
Groundswell basically is a corporate giving platform that uh, decentralizes corporate giving and does that by empowering employees with personal giving accounts uh, and allows you know them to basically give like rich philanthropists. Can you share a bit of like, you know, what are the two, three, four really important structural things you did in the beginning? So I was smart enough to surround myself with really smart people. And and I think that's why Team Rubicon was successful. So the first thing I did at Groundswell was just repeat that same playbook. I think we had a great vision for what we wanted to accomplish and what was possible. And with that vision, we went out and we told a great story. You know, we went to investors and we we shared with them our vision of the future. And, and, you know, I think that type of compelling storytelling is one of the the best tools that leaders can, can develop. Did the, did the, your, your venture investors, your early investors, did they look at the success you had with team Rubicon, the big success and said, this is somebody I can invest in? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, I think um, VCs love, you know, multi-time founders or second time founders, you know, it's, Entrepreneurship is hard and, and taking a big bet on somebody who's never built a company before is is risky. I mean, risk, is, of course, is the nature of venture capital. But if you can de-risk a, a decision by saying, hey, this person's done it before, that's great. I think one of the doubts I had to overcome with some investors was, yeah, but, but it was a nonprofit. He built a nonprofit. And you know, trying to convince some of them that actually it's a lot harder to be a nonprofit entrepreneur than a for-profit entrepreneur. Okay, so let's talk about the elements of Groundswell. And I, I love this this uh, phrase that you say, you want to teach employees how to give like Gates, be taxed like Warren Buffett, and be recognized like Rockefeller. So how do you do that? How is Groundswell formed? What tools and what capabilities are you giving to employees? Yeah, so, so key to our product offering is this thing called a donor-advised fund. So... You know, the, for people that aren't familiar with donor advised funds, the best way to describe it is, you know, on the spectrum of rich, right? So if you're Bill Gates rich, uh, you create your own family foundation. If you're just like really rich, you know, uh, you get what's called a donor advised fund. People like me that don't have wealth advisors don't have donor advised funds because we're not rich, right? And and again, I saw this at Team Rubicon and it drove me nuts. And so again, at the core of our product is the world, we've built the world's most modern donor advised fund and it, we've made it accessible to anyone. So okay. accessible and modern. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, if you're at Morgan Stanley, you have to be willing to put $25,000 in, into a donor advised fund to open one. For us, it's $1. And so we've, we've given people this tax advantaged vehicle that allows them to create these huge efficiencies in their giving. Now in the corporate space right now, there's a, a big movement around employee financial wellness. A lot of human resources departments, as they're building out their benefits packages, are looking at kind of the full financial well-being of their people. You know, they've always offered things like retirement accounts, 401ks, pension plans, things of that nature. But they're also doing things now like offering free financial advisors that employees can tap into with, you know, maybe planning for how to get a mortgage or pay down student debt. We believe that this idea of providing employees with tax-advantaged charitable vehicles is in that same spirit. And also then it provides the opportunity for companies to actually subsidize that philanthropy for their people. Vast majority of American households give to charity every year. You know, the numbers range between 71, 74% of American households give to charity every year. That's a meaningful opportunity to like provide real 
benefit to that family's budget or bottom line by subsidizing that for them. And so talk about their, the four elements, because you've got not-for-profit recommendations, and then you've talked a little bit about tax-advantaged vehicles. And so talk about the elements, which is why when you go to a company, um, they're going, oh, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, there's there's all sorts of features within the application. So, you know, nonprofit recommendations. One of the things that, you know, I've seen is that a lot of people want to be charitable. They get overwhelmed with the choices. So there's this opportunity to educate people. And we do that through the app. And again, in that spirit of, you know, we want people to give like rich folks. You know, when a, when a rich person decides that they want to go and solve something like homelessness, they hire consultants and advisors to, to tell them where to spend their money. We want to provide that same type of resource to people through artificial intelligence, machine learning, things like that. And then, you know, we want to do things like give people the opportunity to be more deliberate and consistent in their giving. So, so we see that time and again, people have an idea for how charitable they want to be. They might have even a giving goal. But if you're not providing them with a tool to be able to do that consistently, chances are they're not going to do it. You also have, I love the dashboard. So there's, you know, especially for younger generations that really want instant information, it's consolidated and it's easy. You also have tax receipts. So, so how are, how's your, how are your sales going? Um, and, when, and when you're talking to companies, I'm sure different sizes of companies, what's their response? And who are you selling into? Because we have a lot of different people who listen to this podcast and they may be targets for you. And they may say, hey, great. I want to, you know, I want to connect with Groundswell. Yeah, so sales, I mean, sales are going great. We've been out in the market for six months. We're selling a lot into professional service firms and technology companies. So uh, investment management firms, law firms, accounting firms, things like that, as well as uh, late stage and early stage technology companies. Um, <clears throat> you know, they're a little bit of a harder sale now because of the, you know, they've gotten beaten up in the, in the, uh, with the economic headwinds and lower valuations. But you know, I think they still see themselves as uh, progressive leaders in the benefit space. And so they're still investing in this. We mostly sell into HR. You know, we, we position this as kind of a component of compensation and, and benefits. Can you share a story of um, an employee who's, you know, utilized the product and they went, wow, this is just great. Well, it's always fun when you you can hop on like Twitter or LinkedIn and you see an employee at a company that you just went live with posting about how awesome their their employer is because they just gave them, you know, this this resource. You know, we have a bunch of examples of companies that have transformed how they approach social impact with this. You know, one that was written about in uh, a Wall Street Journal article about Groundsville recently uh, was a, a PR firm out of New Jersey, New York called uh, Confidant. You know, they they had always given back. So their founder was was really big on on you know, investing back in the community, but it was all founder driven. So he he gave money every year from the company to cancer research because he was a cancer survivor. And I'm sure the employees thought, hey, this is great. But when he learned about Groundswell, he realized, hey, I've got these 50 employees, and they, there are 50 different things that they care about. Even though they might say those things are great, there's probably something more important to them personally. And so he basically took that entire budget and he gave it to his people to give away. And the, the feedback from his staff was tremendous. And he realized, one, it was both more fulfilling for him, even though that money was no longer going to what matters most to him. And it drove better business outcomes. Like It was actually creating better loyalty with his employees than what he'd been previously doing. So it just was a win-win. Excellent. Excellent. We hope you have many more stories like that. So um, you've 
uh, released a state of corporate philanthropy report in 2022. And uh, we hear that there's one in the works for 2023. And we're wondering if you might share maybe one or two points that you're seeing um, as individual philanthropy is evolving. And what are some of the trends that you're going to report on? Well, one of the things that we're interested in digging into is in the face of a recession, what are employees going to expect their employers to do? I think that there's a lot of uncertainty in the nonprofit landscape right now about whether or not donors are going to be pulling back and funds will dry up. Great, great. Thank you. We look forward to that. When's it coming out? Uh, We'll target it to come out in Q2. Q2. Oh, great. All right. So excellent. We always love to ask our guests, do you have one or two books or podcasts or individuals that inspire you to continue in terms of your purpose? Someone once, um, a former secretary of the VA, Bob McDonald, handed me a book once, A Man's Search for Meaning, which by Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, uh, hit home for me for two reasons, both because the message inside, which is all about purpose and uh, but also because of you know my whole or my my history and in, in initial inspiration coming from a visit to a concentration camp. So I think a man's search for meaning is a is a powerful and very short read. And then you know there's a book my dad gave me when I was very young um, called The Go Getter. It's a hundred years old. Oh, that's one that's wonderful. I'd love to end with two to three insights that uh, for basically social entrepreneurs or social impact. Um, you know, company ideas for our listeners who are just saying, wow, this guy is amazing. I'm not, I haven't gone to the Marines. I has, I wasn't a sniper, but I do want to have big impact. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would probably just focus on one and, and that is, you know, all impacts start small. Um, and, you know, if you're sitting around waiting for the perfect opportunity to do something big, you might be sitting around, sitting around for a long time. And we used, uh, there was a, a, a parable at Team Rubicon that early in the organization's existence, people would talk about. It's it's the starfish parable, right? It's this folk, two two people walking down a beach where all these starfish have walked uh, washed ashore, uh, hundreds and hundreds of starfish all along the beach, and they're going to die because they've been stranded on this beach. And this person's just sitting, picking one up at a time and going and taking them and dropping them in the water and person says, you know, what are you doing? You can't possibly save all these starfish, but you know, the person doing it looks down and says, yeah, but I can save this one. You know, I think that's the mentality that you have to have is these small acts of kindness. They compound and eventually, you know, you, you'll, you might find yourself staring at an opportunity to take that impact and scale it well beyond that single starfish. Uh, th- that's wonderful advice. I want to add, one, ask you one other thing, because you talk a lot in your interviews and such about leading with empathy and love. And I'd love you to, to to end with, you know, once you've got this idea and you're building your organization, what is the role of empathy and love in leadership? You know, I certainly, I think love is the foundation of leadership. It's one of the things I took away from my time in the Marine Corps. You know, I think you have to, as a leader, demonstrate uh, the ability to, to truly care for the people that you're leading and um, convince them that you are there to help them on their journey, what, wherever that journey takes them, wherever they aspire to go. And the thing about creating a, a culture that's rooted in that love and empathy is it creates a culture of, of safety. And, and so that's, that's kind of how I think about leadership and building teams and culture is 
you start with that love and empathy and create a sense of safety and unity of purpose for your people. And that's ultimately what unlocks tremendous value and courage. Tremendous, tremendous value and courage. And I always like to leave the last word to my guest. So Jake Wood, this has been an amazing conversation and you've gotten even more delightful. So um, just, just, a, just a point of view, but any last words that you want to share? Well, I, not sure anybody's ever called me delightful, so I, I'll, I'll make sure that my wife hears that. <laughs> okay. um, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, I guess my last words would be, would be you know, I, I hope that your listeners are dreaming and aspiring of a, of a better world, and I hope they're waking up every day to, to go out and pursue that. So good luck on that journey for each of you listening, and if I can ever be of assistance, let me know. And how do they reach you? Find me on LinkedIn. So thank you, Jake Wood. We, we need thousands more Jake Woods um, in the world. You are having an extraordinary impact and at a very young age. And just keep up uh, the amazing uh, work and the love that you bring to it. So thank you. Thanks, girl. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Ann Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it, and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business growth and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.